1: A story of California corruption on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever
0: you get your podcasts. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio.
3: And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you, Archbishop Ronald File Enright is a chief exorcist with extensive experience spanning at least 46 years. And throughout his ministry, he has conducted thousands of exorcism rituals, including case assessments for demonic infestation and possession. He has been privileged to serve as the founder of the Order of Exorcists, which is an international organization with members in 24 countries. Members include a diverse group of professionals, including priests, bishops, lead assessment team investigators, counseling psychiatrists as well. His latest book, as I mentioned, is called Diabolical Nightmares of Real Cases and Demonic Possession, Told by the exorcists. Horrifying realities do exist in dark places. That's scary stuff, Archbishop Ron. Welcome back. Thank you. Thank you, George. How are you? I'm doing fine. How about yourself?
2: I've been pretty busy lately, considering I I kind of call myself retired, but that's not really the case. Uh, People cannot, for some reason, cannot lose my phone number. People are constantly contacting me, and I'm constantly busy. So even though I'm in a somewhat uh, semi-retired uh, uh, position, I am still so busy you wouldn't
3: believe it. I'm going to ask you to get closer to your microphone because you sound like you're in a tin can. Oh boy,
2: <laughs> okay, I, I can assure you I'm not in a tin can,
3: <laughs> but I'm right here. Can you hear me any better? A little better, a little better. <laughs> so we'll keep our fingers crossed and hope the demons aren't trying to keep you away from us
2: know it does happen especially when we're dealing with uh, electronics and, and all this modern technology you know um yeah it's it's pretty interesting
3: how did you become interested in exorcisms
2: you know it all happened it was a uh, supernatural event that occurred when i was 11 years old and i uh i was in, in the bathroom and taking a shower and this. Bright light just illuminated the entire bathroom. It came through the bathroom window, and it was so bright, I had to shut my eyes. As I did, I saw myself in the future, and keep in mind, I'm only 11 years old. I saw myself in the future wearing a Roman collar and serving the church in some capacity. And then at at that split second, I opened my eyes, I could just see the vapors just Leave the bathroom and it just simply dissipated. And ever since then, I've been uh, very much aware of the supernatural things I've had in the world. And it's like a new perspective. I, I just, I, I kind of like uh, uh, got a sense of the reality of what's going on. Did you,
3: did you come into this kicking and screaming, or was it really truly voluntary on your part?
2: I, I consider it a divine calling. I believe that God had uh, communicated with me, and and though 11 years old, I I, I was apparently very open to whatever God had to say. I was right there and ready to listen and and obey. And and since that time, uh, throughout my life, I've started experiencing all types of really interesting things, that is, things that would be
3: classified as unbelievable and pretty scary. Do you, do you see demons outside the physical body or not? I
2: do. I actually do. I, in fact, most of my ministry has been spent in the Skid Row areas of downtown Los Angeles. And most of the time, the either the owner or the management of these Skid Row hotels would contact me. And they would ask if, uh, if I could do some form of assessment and see what's going on. And so, as a result um, and this started, like, in the very early 1980s. And so, we started um, uh, making these calls and making assessments, and, uh, and it just took off from there. You have to understand that most people that live in these Skid Row hotels, uh, they, like, fall under, you know, the, the category of, of being desperate, perhaps maybe uh, they're down on their no luck. They might have substance abuse problems. Uh, maybe even um, uh, issues with like, uh, you know, law enforcement. And, and so crime is always there. And then they're very suicidal. You have overdoses. You have all kinds of things, which means that there's a spiritual residual that's left in that structure. So when that happens, supernatural things take place. That is, you know, walls start banging. Uh, people uh, can, can swear that they hear whispering. And, and these are at just like one or two floors. There's one hotel in uh, in Skid Row in, in downtown Los Angeles. It has uh, 14 stories, and this type of activity occurs. and has been occurring uh, every uh, ever since 1920s. So I mean, this is an old hotel, and you have all these spiritual uh, uh, residuals from people who have uh, who have committed suicide. Uh, jumped off the 14th floor, and so on. And it's so interesting, because throughout the entire uh, uh, hotel, it's only the 14th floor that has all these disturbances. Hmm.
3: What does a demon look like, Archbishop?
2: My, uh, and it's so funny, because I, when I see them, they don't change. They, they have the same image. What I see is a gray, long face, and they're always wearing what appears to be a foot. And as a result, I've And the people in these hotels, they are living uh, on on the lowest level of life that you could even imagine. A lot of them uh, are just suffering socially, and they have other social, uh, uh, you know, uh, problems. But as a result, you know, they're they're living there. It's the only place. It's the next step of being homeless. You know, they're in that hotel, and that's that's their structure. And as a result. They have to experience all the residuals that have taken place in the past. And that would go for everything from suicide to uh, demonic possession uh, to uh, uh, things of this
0: nature. It's, it's very, very, uh, uh, it's very along with disabled people.
1: Listen for free on the iHeartRadio Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
3: How many people who are possessed are considered mentally ill, and they're really possessed?
2: It's a possible. It, it's very possible that they could have both going on. They could have a psychosis and still be possessed by a demonic entity. Um, then the reason what we do when we do our assessment. Uh, we not only uh, record everything, and, and we have a questionnaire that we, uh, that, that we direct to the victim and family members, but we also, uh, we also ask for a psychological report, uh, which they would furnish. And then once they furnish the psychological report from their doctors, we will uh, relay it to our psychiatrist, and so they will review the actual reports, and if it's something that, that, that needs our attention. Or, or, or there's nothing at all, they, they will let us know if it's a normal uh, type of scenario or if it's something that's really, uh, uh, really telling in regards to uh, some form of psychosis, then they would uh, alert us. But understand there are certain things that, um, that mental illness uh, will, not, uh, uh, will not show, uh, for example, Finding the laws of gravity, then you have to understand that this is not a psychosis. Right. You know, we are dealing with something supernatural, and as a result, you know we have we have to be on our toes and document everything and make sure we have the uh, the proper uh, support system in place. We normally have some medical uh, practitioner who's with our assessment team, and
3: so that's either a practical nurse or an LVN. Or, uh, or or something like this, where we have someone who is medically trained. In the event, as we're doing the evaluations,
2: and by the way, I'm not involved in the evaluations. I I oversee the evaluations by by examining them and making a final decision based on our psych uh, psychiatrist's uh, uh, recommendations. Um, so I don't make a decision until we have all the paperwork. In. So understand, I'm not even on site when the first contact interview is made. Uh, we rely on our landing, and sometimes we do have a clergy member who's, uh, who's, who wants to join in on the, uh, on the assessment team. But what they do basically is they uh, not only interview the victim, but they also get the input from the family members and even the neighbors in regards to what's happening. And then at that point, there's always someone, and these days everyone has an iPhone, so everyone has a recorder. So everyone that's on the team, they're they're literally not only um, focusing on, on the victim, but they're also looking for outward manifestations that are around them, or within the house, or within whatever structure it is. And if there is some type of physical movement where we can actually see something going on, then that's considered uh, proof that we have to further investigate. Now, we do that by investigating not only Individual, but we also investigate the property. We investigate the house. We see if there's any history, uh, anything that may have uh, occurred. It's interesting, though. Uh, there have been quite a few uh, residents where where we have found that there were human sacrifices made, and we're talking about you know a hundred years ago or so. Uh, and as a result, the, the residual is still in the structure, which means that you have you know an ideal uh, situation
0: for a, a, a demonic infestation. Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more.
1: Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes